The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. darkest night eventually ends with dawn, and even the blackest soul must contain a shred of salvation. Surely it must be true that even the most worthless thing must have something by which to recommend it. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and sharp or something, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. Tonight's presentation is The Wicker Man, the 2006 remake of the 1973 folk horror adapted and directed by Neil LeBute and starring Nicolas Cage and Ellen Burstyn. My guest is author Simon Guerrier, and you join us sharing a drink in the beer garden of the Green Man. Hello, Simon. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? I'm thrilled to be here. Excellent. So am I. Let's talk about a really good movie. Oh, uh, oh yeah, let's. Now, um... As a bit of background, this is, I think, the earliest in the day I've ever recorded a podcast. It's only just gone half past ten. Yes, and sorry so, about that. No, that, we're doing this to accommodate Simon's schedule because he has a family and I have nothing. Uh, but no, absolutely fine. But we've both just managed to wolf down our breakfast and did you have some honey with your breakfast? Uh, well, sadly, no, I didn't. But I was just thinking that as I, uh, as I wolfed it down. But uh, yes, I think I might be off the honey for a while as a result of this film. <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> this is the one of the uh, episodes of the podcast as part of the mini-series leading up to our 100th episode, where we're covering films that would normally be outside the podcast's regular purview. So we've done a programme of short films, we did a film for television, a film that didn't actually get finished or released, and I thought with The Wicker Man we would do a film that has apparently no redeeming features at all and thus is beyond the reach of the podcast's salvation. Wow. Wow. But I thought, in the spirit of celebration, we would try and find something about it that was worthwhile. Just one thing that they did right. Okay. All right. So had you, uh, <laughs> had, had you seen the film before? No, I hadn't. Um, I hadn't. I'd kind of meant to, and... When you said that this was what we were going to do, I did go into it wanting to look for positives. Um, Excellent. I must admit, my heart sank watching... It tells you everything you need to know about this film, that the DVD includes unskippable trailers for terrible movies. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is a sign. This is a portent of, uh, of how things are going to go, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I watched it on a laptop, so I didn't get to skip them. So. <laughs> um, I saw The Wicker Man, or the remake of The Wicker Man, uh, on the night it opened. There was a, a Thursday night preview, because it came out in late summer. And I, dreading it, went down to the cinema, got my ticket, sat in the auditorium with maybe a dozen or so other people. 
And as the film unfolded, and we realised how bad it was, we just started laughing, and wow. laughing at the movie all the way through. And it was such a relief, because I thought, ah, oh, the, the original film, such a classic, such a masterpiece, is not even going to be touched by this yeah. absolute shambles, because it's so awful. Yeah, 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 that's funny. I, I sat in a screening, a press screening for Guy Ritchie's Revolver, oh. and, when the, and when the lights went up, I was the only person left, and <laughs> everybody else had left the screening. Um, and in those days, the reviews I wrote would get syndicated, and if they got syndicated, I got paid, and I did really well out of that review that I wrote, because nobody else wanted to watch the movie, so they bought my review instead. I went to see Revolver in the cinema and I too waited until the very end when the lights came up and I think I might have been the only person left in the cinema as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's rare when that happens. It, uh, I, yeah, it, press screenings are funny because you do... It, there is a... Um, it's a long time since I've done them, but there is a kind of... Uh, there's a relief when a film is good. That's, that's the thing that I long for. But sort of, you get it maybe about 20 minutes in half an hour in and you just get the sense of relief from everybody that the film is good because i think critics generally want films to be good and are longing for something that that transports them and excites them and stuff um and it's just a shame when that doesn't work but i think i think there's lots to talk about in this film about why it doesn't work um well let's get into it um uh neil the butte who wrote and directed it has a had a track record of making indie films but they were films that tended to examine misogynist themes in a way that is, to my eye, not necessarily condemning them. Um, the Shape okay. of Things, I'd previously seen in the cinema, appeared to be a film about how women manipulate men because they're evil. Right, okay. I've not seen that one. Okay. Um, I'm not sure I want to now. It, it's, it's an odd film. It's Paul Rudd and Rachel Weiss. Right. So it's a proper high-powered cast in this very unpleasant film. In the Company of Men is more bluntly about men manipulating women, and it's it, it feels like it's more defensive that they have to get their knives in first. God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And so this is very in the same mould, then. Yeah. Yeah. So reconfiguring the Wicker Man to conform to his own particular interests is par for the course. I listened to the commentary on the DVD as well. Right. And it's manages to be quite crass and very insightful into what the makers' thoughts were. There's lots of gay jokes. Oh, God. And uh, at one point, um, I think the boot says, oh, I, was, I said something theatrical, so I felt the need to touch another man. And, uh, oh, wow. Okay, I, this is all, you know... This is this is not endearing me any further to the film. It's all it's all pretty just just grotesque. I, you just feel unclean, don't you, as a, as a result of this? Um, I yeah yeah okay. I, um, yes, I don't, I don't, I I thought it was going to be difficult to like this film less, but you've managed <laughs> it. So uh. yeah, as as Mark Kermode has said, it's it's nice when films are just terrible. That it's, yeah. it's just, that there's nothing objectionable about it. It's just rubbish. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, unf okay. Unf unfortunately, The Wicker Man isn't just terrible. It's also objectionable. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But in this new version, we start with motorcycle cop Edward Malus, played by Nicolas Cage, um, who, on his beat in California, pulls over a motorist, and there's very tense music. Yeah, can I... Um, because actually we start in a diner. Oh, yes. And there's there's a sort of, you know, and he's a cop in a diner and there's a waitress that he's kind of flirting with or not or they're having a conversation is she flirting with him and um i my my thought watching that was well a it's kind of establishing that we're not in scotland as in the original film you know it's it's giving us a very different different place so if you know the original film it's immediately located somewhere else and has a very different vibe but also beyond that I've seen this a thousand times before. You know, I've, I've seen this kind of stuff, the diner, the waitress, the cop, you know, just like th there's nothing original here at all. The thing that makes it work in as much as it works is Bad Lamenti's music, which is disturbing and strange. So you've got this completely innocuous scene of just a guy having a coffee in a diner, but the music is doing something else and suggesting there's more going on. And Bad Lamenti, for me immediately makes me think Twin Peaks mm. and Twin Peaks had a diner in it so it's into that kind of slightly skewed David Lynch kind of thing but does nothing with it there's nothing odd going on there's no quirkiness there's no whatever so it's kind of like a um, it's like a bland cover version of David Lynch uh, in that opening scene um, and then he goes out on the road and you have the, the, it's a rabbit, isn't it, being thrown out of the window? And he. Oh, yes. There's a little a, a child throwing her little toy rabbit out of the car window, and Cage reaches down as he zooms past and picks it up because he's dead cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, it's a, it's a, he's a nice guy. You know, that's the, he's a good cop, is the yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I, I, I was kind of like, okay, so that's where this is going. And then when, the, when he hands the doll over to the child and she throws it out into the road again I was like oh where's this going this is interesting you know this is unexpected it's not what you'd normally expect and whatever I've no idea how this connects to the wicker man I've no idea how this connects to anything else but I don't know where this is going and he crosses the road and a truck drives into that car and I was like okay now you've got my attention <laughs> what the hell is this um, and and he goes to rescue the, the, the kid who's in the car, crashing at the window, and the, the car explodes, and he's knocked across the road. And I was like, wow, this is, a, this is completely out of left field and really, really shocking. And, you know, the kind of thing that will linger in your head long after you've seen the film. Um, and I thought, I thought that was really striking. Um, and... and for a film that's, you know, remaking a very well-known, very successful uh, uh, film that already exists, I thought that was a, a really good way of kind of marking the changes and, and getting us involved and stuff. I thought, that was gr I thought that was great. In itself. In itself, um, yeah. Um, we then jump forward a little and um, Edward's off work. He's been uh, taking medication and... Um, has been listening to self-help tapes. And I think the, the film has a, some, I think a slight anti-psychiatry 
bias. Yeah. Um, Neil Butte is not a Scientologist, but he is a Mormon. Right. And and yeah, there, there's a. I don't know. It's the idea that because he's got these tapes, he's, you know, is is it a. a, a demasculated or a, a, is that kind of the I, I don't know I don't know it's it's a weird um, it's a weird thing of him kind of being vulnerable or, or, or susceptible or something isn't it but, in, but, in, in the commentary Labute specifically references how white American males are emasculated these days right God yeah, yeah so okay. yeah don't, don't ever ask for help because then you're not a real man yeah 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 it's depressing, actually, because I know someone who looks exactly like Neil LeBute. Totally different personality, right. of course, but it's just, you know, I look at him and just think, oh, God. <laughs> this guy, yeah, I, this guy again. And, and, and then there's this, this thing that he gets a letter from a, his former fiance about her missing daughter. Um, and... You know, it feels like it feels like a sort of clunky coincidence that it just happens to come to him when he's in this sort of period after the the car crash, the the the, the accident and stuff. Um, but the but it's it couldn't be more laden on that this is a chance for him to save the little blonde girl that he lost just recently. You know, it's it's a that there's some kind of redemption being offered. Um, but it's also established that they never found the bodies from the crash and that the car wasn't registered which yeah which means that the only reason Malus was given a, the commendation that he received was they just took his word for everything it's so weird isn't it it's it, none of it really adds up and also how do you fake that how, 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 because what? because the tentacles of summer's isle are everywhere yeah, so is, is the lorry being driven by a honey-supping su woman as well? It's so odd. So odd. Um, and you know, so, so do, they, do they have a, an explosive charge set on the car ready to throw him across the street so, and then they get out and hide behind a rock? And then it's just... Oh, yeah, the, the more you... Um, oh, there, there's a... There's a there's a thing about the last Mission Impossible movie, um, the one about the nuclear bombs, where the three most exciting things that happen in that film all turn out to be dreams or somebody imagining something. And then you cut back and that didn't happen. Um, you know, so there's a bit where Tom Cruise has to shoot a cop to, to carry on with the, oh, yes. the thing he's playing. And you go, oh, no, that was just him imagining how bad it could be. And there's a bit where you think everything's gone wrong and the, the bombs have been used and that turns out to be a fake news report that they've put together and then there's a bit where you think the bomb's gone off and it actually is just the dawn and actually it's all fine and it's the sun coming up um and and it feels like it's pulling its punches by revealing it's not true and i think that's what's happening with this crash and the women that by it being a conspiracy it's less powerful if if the, this mother and daughter had been killed and that was reported in the press and then the people in, on the island in the Pacific Northwest read that and went, he's our guy because he's vulnerable and he's, we can use this, that's a, that's a, a much more uh, convincing way of, uh, you know. It's, and, it, it's, 
and it's so much simpler. Yeah, it's it's believable, and it just it it simplifies things and streamlines it in a way that is effective for storytelling as well as for the audience's credibility. And yeah, and if there's something like, you know, the press accounts say that he feels he's failed, but he's got a commendation because of all his colleagues say he did everything he could, then the islanders can be going but he needs redemption and we can offer him redemption this is what he wants but the islanders aren't interested in giving anyone redemption they're they they they're just preying on people yeah yeah so it's it's all so, just so again yeah. it, again it's it's but um the mute also says in the commentary that he felt that the change as you know spoiler uh rowan is uh Malus's daughter probably um, he felt that the family connection was a stronger link rather than in the original it's just a police officer doing his duty yeah yeah this is um it's funny i was watching andrew ellard's uh video about uh, his video notes on quantum of solace and one of the original drafts for quantum of solace is that bond discovers vesper's child in an orphanage and that she's betrayed him and betrayed the Secret Service because the baddies had her child, her baby. And that the idea being that that would be a stronger link and that would explain her betrayal. And actually those family connections, that idea of a family connection doesn't make it stronger. It, makes, it somehow makes it weaker. Because it, 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 it doesn't... Um, because suddenly everything is much more s selfish and self-centred rather than being a moral imperative it's a, it's a very um it's also a very it's a very skewered idea about family that they're kind of, that your children are property that they're that you know that they're kind of a and and although parents can be quite tigerish in their responses to children under threat it's not it doesn't actually feel credible it doesn't feel that's not how you respond as a parent to this kind of stuff it's it's it yeah it all feels it all feels like people imposing a view of what having a family is like or a really unhealthy view of what having a family is like mm. um i don't i don't feel that any of that you know it's so it's so odd that i mean in in the original wicker man the policeman is driven by the fact that there's a missing child and that is enough. That is enough motive. That is enough moral grounds for him to continue his investigation. The fact that the child then turns out to be his daughter in this version doesn't up the stakes in no. any way. She's still a missing, vulnerable child. And actually, the idea that it becomes more important because she's his daughter is actually quite insulting. Um, it's, you know, it, 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 it should be enough that... that it's a girl in danger. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the one thing I like so much about the original is it goes out of its way to make Sergeant Howie quite dislikable. Yeah, yeah. He's a good cop and a good man. He's just not very nice. <laughs> he's a reactionary. And I think, that's, I think that's what's really interesting about that film is that to begin with in the original, you kind of get the, vi the villagers seem fun and liberated and sexually liberated and open and he's the one who's repressed and and sort of traditional and given when that film was made that means that he's kind of going against the times 
And so the film is quite subversive in that way. You know, and the kind of folky music and the whatever is all very of its time. Whereas this film is much more reactionary. And it's a, it's a you know, a good chiseled cop who's going out and all of these people are evil women. And it's, it's not subversive in the slightest. It's, it's all very much, you know, these people are operating outside of the norm and that mm. in itself is not right. Um, it's a very conservative film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, it turns out that um, the, the child is missing from Summer's Isle uh, the change in the name came from Le Butte finding this de- easier to pronounce. Okay. Which, which is weird. Yeah. Um, and um, the, uh, his ex-fiancée is called Willow Woodward. Um, they, they still maintain all the women on the island having the names of plants and flowers and trees. But because it's, they have severed the connection between the natural world... And the people, this this version doesn't have that. It then just is completely redundant and meaningless. Yeah, it's it's also, I mean, the clunkiness of taking Edward Woodward's name and putting it into the film, like that's somehow a tribute. You know, a tri- a tribute would be making a better film. I yeah. Think. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. I don't, a, a just tri- a good tribute would be making a new film with a similar theme and a similar central message of the conflict between these um, uh, belief systems in the modern world, but doing a, a, an original story. Yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe. So I just be... think, you know, I just think naming your character after Edward, or, your char- or two characters after Edward Woodward is looking in the wrong place for how you carry something over. You know, it's, mm. it's just... But anyway, anyway. Um, there's a picture of uh, Sergeant Harry as well in the station as a missing person. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I missed um, that. But. And uh, one of uh, Malis's colleagues says that he should just drop you know, looking into this. But he's going anywhere. He looks on, he looks on the Summer Isle website as well. Yeah. An island that has no technology or mobile phone reception, but nevertheless has a website. Yeah, but, but then that could work. I was thinking that could work if the website is put up by people on the mainland talking about how weird it is. And that would be great because if the website says this is a really weird place and dangerous and we think it's bad for children, we think it's whatever, that would give added impetus to him going over to investigate. Because he could then ask, why, no, why is nobody looking into this? And they go, oh, we just leave that alone or whatever. And that gives added reason for him to go. But no, they don't do that. Um, no. Yes, this, this completely technophobic um, community has set up a, a, a very modern, uh, very accessible website with... Uh, modern, for t- modern for 2006, so it's... But, but yeah, yeah. Cu- but, cutting but, edge geocities. Yeah, but even so, just... Yes. Um... So he heads up there. He heads up to uh, Washington State. Uh, he takes the ferry across to, um, you know, presumably across part of Puget Sound. Uh, as he puts on aftershave while sitting at a table inside, and yeah. and hallucinates um, the girl from the crash standing outside on deck. Yeah. Now, and- now, there's a couple of things here. One is that she's wearing red. 
And I think that that is a, uh, let's be kind, that's an homage to uh, Don't Look Now, another British Lion film uh, from the same period as uh, The Wicker Man. They originally released as a double bill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's, you know, it's thieving or it's, it's homaging these things together. And it's really unsubtle. Also, him taking pills at the table as he watches this is really unsubtle. Um, and you could, have done, you could have got that across much easier without going into a haunted nightmare bit or without having a flashback. Just show him looking and there's a girl and his, there's his, his expression of concern and then the girl's mother turns up. But also the implication at the end of the film because the mother and daughter weren't killed in the crash is that's them. So they're literally walking around in front of him on the ferry to freak him out. And you kind of go, is that a clever thing to do? Is that them being <laughs> diabolical? Or is that threatening to expose the whole thing? Because it would only take him standing up and going to look and go, hang on, didn't you die in a crash? It, all of those, it, again, what I find is that that, just makes you ask more questions about how this all fits together and what's what's going on. The, the more you the more it kind of the more it kind of goes oh what's going on you go well yeah because it doesn't make any sense that's that's my objection to it i think it's it's like chaos theory the more complicated a system becomes the more threads there are that you can pull at yeah 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 i think so um and then the 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 uh, dream girl is ploughed down by a huge dream articulated lorry and that was my first big laugh of the movie well yeah it's just yeah the letter as well um, is written with perfect freehand calligraphy in a way that yeah. is it, it just looks silly it's not well yeah yeah I mean all of those things are just um We'll get onto the community in a minute, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the production design, everything's a bit too neat. Um, yeah, for a what should be a rough, um, quasi you know, pre-industrial environment, it's all very slick. Yeah, you, know, you think about what an Amish community looks like, or just like a normal farm. It's much, much. It's more like like a bed and breakfast community. Yeah, I think, so let's talk about, the, so he, he arrives and they, they can't get across and then per, persuades a guy to fly him over. And he arrives in this community, which, as you say, is kind of Amish, but all the clothes are new. Everything's a bit clean. Their hair is clean. It reminded me of, it's kind of the, um, you get these space communities in Star Trek The Next Generation. I was thinking especially of the, the utopian civilization in uh the movie Insurrection. Oh yes. Where they all live on this rather nice farm and everyone's got lovely hair and clean clothes and the clothes are all a bit similar. Um and it all feels very um it all feels like it's been made that week. Because mm. it has been. And there's no attempt to you know, that nobody's got holes in their clothes. Nobody's muddy. Nobody's you know all of that kind of stuff. And it's all a bit um it's all a bit homogenous. And, you know, you don't have any sense that there are groups that, you know, that you don't have any goths in this group. You don't have any 
whatever. And I know that that's kind of the point of this in this version of the Wicker Man, that they're all part of the same cult. But it does just make you go, I don't believe any of it. And then they've got something struggling in a bag. And that's really threatening and weird. But we never see what it is. No, and Malus's first instinct is to ask if it's a shark. It's, but, but also, if it was something innocuous, if it seemed threatening and it was something really innocuous, then that would be a kind of release of tension. But it's like it's too early to have something really sinister going on here. Because where, where does that then go? Where, mm. where do you... You can't build on anything. Um, it's, and he turns up... They're all really suspicious of him and weird. But, yeah, everyone is immediately behaving as though they're in a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. It just... It just... Whereas, yeah, it t- whereas in the original... They arrive on the island, and the island is just like a normal Scottish island community. Everyone's wearing normal contemporary clothes and living in little fishing houses. And, and it's more like a, a police drama. It's saying, oh, sorry, so this is private property. I'll need permission. And it's all very normal. I, and, it's, and it ramps up the weirdness over the course yeah, of the and, movie. And, and, and I think the, the brilliant thing that that original film does is that... Um, statement that text at the beginning of the film that says thanks to the islanders and lord summer isle which immediately sets you up that this is kind of a documentary or that it's more documentary than it is drama so that realism that that sense if you're just it it does feel like you're a fly on the wall that's how it's shot and that's how it feels and that realism makes the sinister stuff weirder and weirder um because it's all couched in reality yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Malus notes that all the, the people he meets on the island are women. Um, yeah. There don't seem to be many men around here. He arrives in the the local tavern. Not the, you know, you know, a local village pub, but just you know, a wood-panelled tavern that's all very old-timey. And he's the officer from California, which means if he's not in California anymore, he has no jurisdiction there. Yeah. So he's there as a private citizen or a trespasser and he has no right to do anything while he's there. And there's no consequence to that. There's no. no and and also what that does is it robs him of authority for us because he's not you know Howie in the original has a perfect right to be there and to investigate. And the more they resist him the weirder that is. In this one, they have a perfect right not to help him, but it's but it's played as if this is them being unreasonable. It's so, it, yeah, it's all really odd, and effectively what that does is it turns him into a vigilante, and you know, taking the law into his own hands, which is a you know a trope of horror films or, or, or thrillers or whatever. But it's just utterly unnecessary here. Uh, a vigilante running around to protect his daughter from. Um, a mysterious other society is is, is pretty much the plot of most Liam Neeson films these days. Well, yeah, it's it's that kind of thing, yeah. And it it just takes the film into a completely different... You know, there's there's no reason for it to be like that. Uh, And as you say, not least because it's been done so much by other people. Um, Hmm. Um... But they sort of they patronise him and say, "Oh, I need a room for the night. Can you swing it?" And he says, "Oh, what's that? Some kind of city talk?" 
when they are probably 15 miles from Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just... And the, the tables are hexagonal as well to, um, to emphasize the, the bee connection. Because yeah, and, they're drinking, and they're drinking mead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that, and uh, and he's got epipens in his bag, which they you know they linger on, and you go, oh, I wonder how that's going to be relevant to this place where they. That was another decision by um, the Butte, who felt that it would be unrealistic for Cage to play a, char- a character who was a virgin, as Howie is in the original. So instead, he decided that he should be. Uh, allergic to bee stings right because those two things in social terms are very much equivalent i think i i think so that i was talking before about the sort of subversiveness of the original wicker man and the the fact that the villagers are all sexually liberated and and kind of playing into this 60s idea of sexual sexual liberation and and how he is this reactive force and stuff i think it's really telling that they don't touch on sex in this at all that there's no sense of sexual liberation that there's no sense that these women this sort of feminist group which is basically what it is there's no sense of them being sexually liberated they they go out to the mainland and find men to have children with but there's there's that bit where there's a guy on the bed that they've kept locked up and stuff but there's no sense of a that's an, that's a another kind of oppression. There's no kind of liberation or joy in any of this, and I think that's really telling. I think this is a sexually repressed film. Yes. Um, and and is really bothered by women having authority or, or you know agency or, or things like that, and and. And all of that, exactly what you say, that it's really, that they can't have Nicolas Cage as a virgin because it's too much caught up in their own hang-ups about sex, is yeah. my thing. Um, and, and, and I think that's what makes all of this so exhausting, really, is, it's, <laughs> is it just feels like, um, I don't, I don't want to go into a kind of, you know, I don't want to say that it's like a... a some kind of incel statement or whatever, but it's it's in that it's in that area of just of, of just the, the kind of um, squeamishness about women. That's that's I, th- I just find that really uh, bothering. And and what are they actually? What are the women actually doing? That that for most of the film seems so horrendous. They're making honey and farming the land, and you know it. it all, all of which is treated as if it's really, you know, something disturbing and wrong. And you're kind of... It's, it's because it's, it's disturbing and wrong because there isn't a man in charge. Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of how it comes across. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. Whereas in, in the original, there is a man in charge, but he's very open and relaxed and he talks about, you know, the power of nature and all of this, and he's very modern, yeah. That's the whole point is that Summer, that Lord Summerall is a very open, forward-thinking man, and uh, has a very healthy, strong, familial relationship with all the islanders. Yeah. And very happy, but the the people on on Summers Island, this version, they don't seem happy. They just 
whenever they smile, it's because they're doing it in a sinister way behind Nicolas Cage's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking, I mean, you mentioned the, the sort of Amish connection, and I, I, I don't know how conscious that is and how much whatever, but, but if you think about a film like Witness, Witness makes the Amish community very sympathetic. You know, mm. not perfect, not whatever, but, but you get a real sense of... Um, you get you get a real sense of connection to them and, and, and sort of admiration for the people there and they that that it's not a, you get a sense of um how they're treated with hostility by the community outside and stuff there's none of that here that the community here is them and other and strange all because they they just don't conform to how things are on the mainland and I find, uh, yeah, as you say, the the thing in um, that the, there's a thin, similar sense of connection in the original with with Christopher Lee because you like Christopher Lee; he's very charming and funny and rather genial. Um, that's what this kind of needs, really. Um, there's no one with any warmth. Yeah. Um, so yes, he um, he's, and there's also a couple of blind twins. Uh, because the film has uh, a number of pairs of twins all the way through. Uh, Labute says that he just finds twins weird and interesting. So it's basically, ha ha, look at the freaks. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also, because they're blind, that put me in mind of the blind woman in um, Don't Look Now again. Oh, uh, yeah. There's the, twins, there's the twins in The Shining. Again, it's all that kind of thing of just going, this is all taken from other better films. And mm. you're not really adding anything. Um, and uh, he overhears that people getting ready for uh, the the tomorrow's tomorrow, the day of death and rebirth, and the Wicker Man's return. It's starting to remind me of uh, a script I wrote about ten years ago, which was a, a goon show parody of the Wicker Man, <laughs> where. Sergeant Seagoon goes to stay on the island and he visits the pub, the slaughtered policeman, and it's all like very, very obvious gags that he doesn't pick up on about how they're going to kill him and boil him in a big pot and things like that. And this is very similar. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. It's, it's almost like he has a... Kate has a sign pinned to his back saying stuff me in a wicker man and burn me. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's just... Yeah, okay. Um... He has another. He has a nightmare of the dead girl again, imagining her as Rowan. Uh, and looks out of his window and sees a girl running away from the uh, the tavern. And it's vague as to whether or not this is hallucination or staged. But he chases her to a barn and finds the red coat that we saw before. And um, isn't isn't there something that nearly falls on him and kills him? Yeah. So the floor falls away underneath him, and he almost falls onto some pitchforks. And is that a trap? Is that an accident? Is that what? Why is this happening? What? What is that for? Why? Why? Well, it's, are they? They're ripping off everything else. Why not terror of the Zygons? Well, yeah, it is. But it's just, it's just. What? What? Why is? What? Why did you put this in? Oh, it's because nothing of interest has happened. So because you need another scare. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's just odd. It's odd. There's no sense that. You know, was he just stumbling around and it was an accident? Because if that's true, that, that just makes him look like an idiot. Were they? Did somebody do this on purpose? If so, why? Because 
that's not what they want to happen to him. They don't want to kill him on a pitchfork. They want to kill him in a Wicker Man. Hence the title of the film. So, what? Why? Why? Who? Whose idea was this? Um, it's just it's just clumsy writing. I think it's yeah. just say, oh, we we haven't had a scary bit. We haven't had a generically horror movie scary bit. We can't rely on suspense because yeah. we're not very good at it and we don't have any confidence in the audience. Um, Malus has breakfast with honey, but it's store-bought, which they've somehow got imported onto the island, um, rather than local produce. And that, again, calls back to the scene in the original where Howie is eating his meal and it's all tinned food, all tinned vegetables, yeah. because as we find out the harvest from the previous year failed. And, and the thing that, over breakfast and as he goes out into the community, that I was struggling with, was there's no sense of how big this community is how many people it involves how many houses is it are the houses all in one place are there different villages around is there you know none of that we we, we go to the big house later but there's no sense of this is a you know i had no sense of space there's no sense of geography or even how big the island is yeah yeah so so you just it's just kind of so you're kind of wandering blind and 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 the point of that is that there's no sense of this is of any of this as being real. That that's, you know, again, just a. Yeah, mm. I, f I feel like we're flying blind. And then, um, uh, and then we go to the school. Is that is that? Well, we have the we have the bit with the the missing photograph oh, yeah, from sure. last year's Harvest Festival, and and the, the day after tomorrow is going to be May the second. So we have the May Day connecting to the bees, but that doesn't make any sense. It's just left over from the original movie. Uh, and as he's going to the school, he passes a group of pregnant women as well. Again, just because, you know, women are weird and creepy, aren't they? Ugh. Pregnancy. But they're all, they're, all, they're, all pre they're all pregnant together. And, you know, maybe they are just pregnant together. But it suggests some kind of breeding programme or some synchronised... I don't know. Um, it, would be, it would be so much more interesting to just have... Odd details that are not in the, of themselves threatening, but gradually accumulate into something that's sinister. Like, oh, oh, they've got the thing in the bag, and it turns out to be a big fish that they've caught. Or some kind of unusual fish. Think, oh, well, that's... Well, they caught a fish. That's kind of weird, though. Yeah, yeah. And just have... So it just... This creeping sense of dread, which the film totally lacks. Yeah, which yeah, the original film has, because it's just... There's just something off all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And it builds the tension, at which this just doesn't do. No. But yeah, they get to the school. We have the scene in the school where we've got some twins. Yeah. And the twins are asked <laughs> uh, uh, how, how, how to describe the male in his purest form. And together they chant, all together now, phallic symbol, phallic symbol. <laughs> Well, it's just, and, and so so. I think I think this is where things come down. When Howie in the original responds to in this scene, "You little liars," it's with the moral indignation that has been established up to that point. We know he's repressed. We know from his experience in the pub bar and you know with the the uh, landlord's daughter, his views on sex. And so when he walks into a school and the children are talking about it openly, that is a anathema to him. We totally get 
why he responds in the way that he does and calls them little liars and you know it's all about his his christian faith it's all about his background we've got all of that nicholas cage's response comes from nowhere there's it's just odd it's just and he's a cop shouting at a room full of schoolgirls that 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 they're little liars he doesn't know what's happened to the girl he doesn't it just it's just a an abuse of authority um and whereas in the original it's you know that we kind of get howie's response here we're not uh, i don't think we should be with nicholas cage in this bit you know it, it just it just made me really uncomfortable um and uh it's just it's just so odd so you know the 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 implication is that the girls at the school girls are involved in what's happened to Rowan, but there's no evidence for that. Um, well, there's the um, there's the empty desk, as there is in the original, and he opens the desk, and in the original, there's a beetle inside, tied to a nail that's walking round and round until he gets right up to us, which is a f- wonderful metaphor for Howie's story. Yeah, yeah. In exactly. the re- in the remake, there's a scary raven inside. Yeah, why? Because why? because we haven't had a scare for the last ten minutes. Yeah, it's just oh, just. And uh, Sister Rose introduces herself, and uh, Mayla says, "Huh, another plant." <laughs> yeah, just. It's hard to know whether or not Cage realizes how ridiculous this is and is playing it as a joke. Labute yeah, says in the commentary that he meant the film to be humorous. I think this is damage limitation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a very it's it's you see that a lot in films that are not working. But yeah. the director will go, yeah, but this was supposed to be a comedy. We never meant it to be serious. Um, I remember. I'm trying to remember the Q and A that I was in, where a director claimed that. Well, I've seen so many dreadful movies. I can't remember <laughs> which one it was. Um, he asks about what happened to Rowan, and um, Sister Rose says, "Oh, she she'll burn to death." What? She burned to death. Oh, ooh, spooky. Yeah, just... Uh, he goes off to look at the churchyard and it's all overgrown in a very over-the-top way. But even though the churchyard is wildly overgrown, they're still having burial services. This is something that I, I never really understood in the original film, that, they, that they're still having traditional Christian burial services, or, or close to that, even though they're not Christian. Well, they're, they're having burials, but isn't the idea in the original that, where, that they bury them and then plant a tree and then the tree is them? Is, ah. is there. So there's a kind of resurrectionist kind of thing going on. Not resurrection, a, a resurrection kind of rebirth kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which ties into their, them having their names as trees. It's the, it's the, the idea of the cycle mm. of uh, life and stuff. Um, the church looks really false. Like it, it, the ruins of the church are just you know a, a set they just like the village like what everybody's wearing and everybody's hair it all looks like it was put up that morning um and then um willow turns up similarly immaculate having strode out from the fields or wherever it, she's supposed to be um and you know they talk about her daughter and surely you know nicholas cage is a policeman he's he can probably count to 20 and stuff he can probably work out that the age of the daughter 
is somewhere around the time that Willow left him. It, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be take a, a genius to work out that possibly, just possibly, this girl is his daughter. But it, it it's, it, it's just, no, you haven't, you haven't made that connection. That, that, he should have had that when he first received the letter of gone, it's weird because that, that girl would be the right age for me to have, you know, yeah, and then, then his police colleague saying no, you can't go. Could be going, or maybe she left you because she was pregnant with somebody else's child, and he's like, well, he, you know, either either way, I should probably find out, and that gives him another reason to go. But no, no, let, let's not do that. Um, it's useful having a proper writer to explain why this is rubbish. <laughs> well, rather, rather, rather than just me saying, "Oh, that bit's stupid. That bit's stupid. That's a bit stupid," you're actually sort of pulling it apart like a like a pathologist. Well, it's very nice of you to call me a proper writer. I think I'm a very improper writer, but uh, oh, well, I've read your books; they're quite good. <laughs> um, he goes into uh, Rowan's bedroom and um, finds "Help me" has been written on a desk. Uh, he also, and then he. Following a passing plane, he goes back down to the, the dock side, tries to get a signal on his phone, and there's nothing. But he hears a sound under the dock uh, and swims underneath, and there's a dead girl. And suddenly her eyes open, and he wakes up, and he's still sitting on the dock. And the camera pulls back, and the girl's in his arms. And then he wakes up again, and he goes, Oh, God damn it! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly my feeling as well. What a. Yes. Why waste everybody's time? Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, you could get away with that kind of thing if there was some suggestion that his mead had been spiked or his he had run out of medication or that he's not in his right frame of mind. Because then, is, his, is what he's seeing and his suspicions his own paranoia that he's imposing on these people? Or is it real? Then you'd have attention. Then you'd have some stakes for us to get into. But no, it's just it's just this random stuff happening that's a bit spooky. Um, yeah. Um, he also swims over to the plane and finds that the radio has been. Yeah, while there's a boat right next to him. On the plane. oh yeah, there's a little rowboat. So he doesn't he doesn't row across. He swims across because that's more manly, he, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, his wig stays on, which is quite impressive. <laughs> um. He also goes to the apothecary's house and starts nosing around in her books and finds the rituals of the ancients. Yeah. I, I like in the original when Harry wants to know about this sort of thing, he goes to the local library and looks it up. Yeah, yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah, it's just so present. Well, I need to know what it is. I'll go to the library. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what research is. That's what you, you do. Um, and yeah, but it, it, that also is just... Um, you know, all the books look like props. All the, there's no, you know, they're, they're, they're all a bit... Um, like Castrovalva, they're all ancient leather-bound books that are brand new. Exactly. It's, it's exactly that problem with, uh, with production. It's, it's exactly that problem with the production design, that nothing is weathered. So, and the, the, the point of this is this is an ancient community. I mean, ancient by, a, you know, well, USA pre, standards. It, of, yeah, it's pre... It dates know, back to Salem. Yeah, it dates back to Salem, and they carry on living the life they have since Salem, and yet everything seems brand new. There's no, well, I think again the thing that is clever about the original is it's, 
it is leaning towards being a, a police drama. There's realistic detective work. He follows leads. He interviews people and and, and and suspects. And he's researching background. In this film, it's just Nicolas Cage running around from place to place yelling at people. And, and, and also, it's full of the kind of dialogue where people misunderstand each other. So you have to say everything twice. Yeah. And... and so there's a, there's a, what did you say? Oh, well, I said, I, and there's no reason for it because the, you're not imparting vital information. It's just a kind of treading water kind of way of writing dialogue. Um, there's no great excitement to any of it. He pleads with Willow to explain the rituals and there's a, a suggestion of rekindling the romance between the two of them, which goes nowhere. Um, and he also helps some men with logs, some huge logs that they have. The men don't speak, um, yeah. and it's not stated whether or not they can or won't. Uh, yeah, because... that's, that, I mean, that, I found that genuinely sinister. Um, and we'll get on to the, you know, the, the men in the community in a bit, but it's, again, th these are the sons of the women in the community but which is never really underlined in the... They're doing this to their own children, hmm. basically, because the, that's how the men are brought up. But, yeah, it's odd. odd. Just, just, I just feel that that's like, a, that's like a, a proper horrific thing that they don't really explain or, or, or draw out. In the commentary, uh, Labute says that the logs they're help, he's helping them with are actually the ones that will be used to build the Wicker Man at the end of the movie. Again, there's no sense of if you had wagon tra you know, a kind of wagon train of these logs and things, and him saying, "What's that for?" and they're going, "Oh, we're building something out in the top field or whatever." Yeah. But yeah, you, again, you haven't made that connection. That the, there's something. There's something really sinister as well about him helping them to put the logs back on. Yeah. I was thinking of. Um, now you've said it, the, 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 the last temptation of Christ makes a point of beginning with, because Jesus is the son of Joseph, who's a carpenter, one of the things that they make before Jesus goes off on his sort of journey as a, it's a his, messiah. His hero's quest. Is he makes, yeah, you know, I don't mean to be crass about that, but, but that's kind of what the film is doing. But, the, but it begins with him building crucifixes because that's what you do as a carpenter. Mm. And and you kind of had this this foreshadowing or, or whatever you want to call it, and I, I that really struck me as a kind of thing. Again, it's here you you just um, it you haven't joined the dots. You haven't you haven't kind of set that up or or, or the, the the horrible irony that he has helped produce the you know this thing. I yeah, just again, just well, he angrily cycles off. Uh, before blundering into a field of beehives, Frank Spencering around like Superman on a kryptonite farm. Nice, nice, yes. Uh, yeah, it, it just makes him look like an idiot, doesn't it? Um, yes. It's not, it's, not, it's not particularly scary. It's just, you know, what they might as well have put him on a pebble beach in bare feet. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's that kind of... There's nothing very heroic or exciting about it. It's just flailing around and then he wakes up in bed and everything's fine and it's like oh 
Oh, okay. So that wasn't a big deal then. No. Oh, well, we didn't use we didn't use the epipens. We didn't need to. Oh, right. So there was no threat then. No, they treated him the old way, which is never explained. Yeah. Um, but he um, he meets with Sister Summers Isle, played by Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Charlotte Rampling and Catherine Deneuve were considered for the role. Okay. Um, and they have a, a discussion about the island, as as in the original, about their their culture. But there's there's no there's no counterpoint because all Malus can do is is ask about it. He can't offer a counterbalance as how he can of pagan against Christian. It's yeah. it's just women against men. Oh, but he does he does because he refers to them being out of reach of a normal society. Oh yes, and that's the, and and he says, well, it's just been fascinating to converse with someone from a normal. So she says to him to converse from a normal society. She turns that on his head. But that's basically, it's normal, and this is not normal. And that's it. That's the, that's the strength of his argument, is that it's not normal. It's not how everybody else lives. And that's it. It's so weak. She is evidently a queen bee. That's why it's a woman rather than Christopher Lee. We get into the sort of eugenics of the strong and sturdy kind of idea. Um... But it's, it all feels very lame because he has no, as you say, he has no moral high ground. He has no moral argument other than, oh, you, you guys don't do it, don't, don't live like everybody else does. And that's it. The line in the original is, um, Lord Samara says, oh, it's so nice to converse with a Christian copper. Yeah, yeah. And it's said with, you know, as I say, geniality and warmth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as as he cycles off, Nicolas Cage has a gigantic smile on his face, which I think is just sloppy direction that they didn't do a retake. Well, it, it's also, he sees the things in the house, doesn't he? He sees the man covered in stings and the girl covered in bees. Um, and I thought that, you know, that there's a guy in there. Is that, I thought that, is that the plane pilot? Is that, is that how they've taken their revenge and stuff? Um... They sew his because, mouth shut later. Yeah, because what what happens is he then sees out on the um, whatever it is the beach or he's, he finds the plane pilot who's uh, who you know who's been punished and stuff. Um, my my immediate thought was oh well how are they going to get their deliveries now? You know who's who's going to deliver their tins of honey? Um, are they going to put an advert in the local paper? Do they ring a, how do they ring across? Do they, what do they, who do they, oh, no, that's not going to work either. Smoke signals. Yeah, just, and, you know, and you can see, you can see the people on the mainland going, oh, they need another pilot, right? What happened to the last one? Uh, don't know. Oh, right, well, just send another one. He fell on a needle and thread. It just, oh, just so... <laughs> I'm so sorry to make you suffer like this. And on a Saturday as well. Um, but having had permission to exhume um, Rowan's grave, he goes into the crypt under the old church where it's it's flooded for no reason. Yeah. But the, the, the lid to the crypt closes, trapping him inside in the water. And for no reason. For no reason. And why, why have they done this? Why have they, why have they, they want him to... 
head up to the wicker man. They want him. They want to put him in the fire. Why have they put him in the water? Why have they? Why do they try to kill him there? And that he's makes no- and he's there all night, apparently treading water in his sleep. Just. And then Willow comes and rescues him. Why? What? Why? What? What? Was she following him? Did she know? Is she? She must be in on it. She must know what's going on. So why does she leave it that long? Is it? What is the? Why is the? If there was the, some logic to, that they they have to they need him to be exhausted. They need him to be weakened and compliant. But they you know they're risking a lot by doing it this way. Yeah. Yeah. It just. Um, and he he finds a, a burnt doll, and screams at Willow. How did it get burned? How did it get burned? Which is some prime cage overacting. Yeah. So now with he goes back into uh, Summersile's cottage, and there's there's the man in the bed. There's candles lit during the daytime. There's a, a woman sitting in an empty room with a big beard of bees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I I jumped ahead. So yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> But again, these are just totally out of context. They're all beards of bees. Spooky. Yeah, and and also, what what why 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 is that happening? What what is the, what why is that? Why do they do that? Is it? Oh, it's a it, it's a it's a parody of masculinity, isn't it? It's just, it's just exhausting, really, isn't it? <laughs> um. Sister Rose comes into Summer's Isle's bedroom and is wearing a mask and, um. Uh, uh, Mela steals uh, a bike at gunpoint uh, in a a scene that is again supposed apparently supposed to be funny but just is actually funny it just yeah and he angrily cycles off past the blind twins there there you go there you go he angrily cycles off that tells you just how perfectly well, I, I, re- I realise that there is a there is actually a connection because he is a motorcycle cop, of course. Right. So this is the closest he can get, but it just looks silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I once did. I once did with my brother. Uh, we were, you know, talking through our what we would do if we were in charge of James Bond, and we were basically going, "Well, you, you need a chase, and you need a chase on a vehicle that he hasn't done before." And we were like, "Maybe he should be on a bike." And the thing about being on a bike is you can't fire a gun on a bike because it will the ricochet will knock you off. So you have to stop. So it'd be a sit, you know. And uh, but that was just to entertain ourselves. You wouldn't actually put your hero on a bicycle and ricketing around. You know, it's it's too uh, Margaret Rutherford as uh, <laughs> Miss Mar- Yeah, just well uh, thinking thinking well thinking about the bike chase in um, Tomorrow Never Dies where they're going all over sides of buildings and over rooftops and up scaffolding and all that kind of thing. You could do that on a, like a mountain bike or BMX, and that could yeah. be exciting. Um, yeah. So there is there is a way of doing it if you if you think it through and you know are, yeah. are a creative just, person. But this, this film, just, yeah, yeah. Also, also, there's no sense of urgency with him on the bike. You know, part of the thing of Sergeant Howie is he's running around, desperate, fighting against the clock, and this, nothing. You know, nothing. Really, nothing. And the, and the way that that search sequence towards the end of the original is edited, it's very fast cuts. Yeah. With his bursting into rooms and bursting into houses and running around. And, and not, he's not moving quickly. But, but you get there's, a sense there's, so, of his, there's so much energy and speed from the pace of the way it's cut. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and all this performance. And you're yeah. not getting that here. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. It's also, a, a, you know, he then dresses as a bear, which is, you know, he, 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 rides, a, he rides a bike angrily and he dresses as a bear. And it's just, it's just so odd. It's just like, you know, it makes me think of Sean Connery dressed as a bear in The Avengers, which is not really where you want to go with illusions. You know, earlier on, they were riffing on Don't Look Now and the original and The Shining and stuff. And now we're into the Sean Connery as a pink bear. You know, just... I think you'll find it was a black bear. Oh, I do beg your pardon. Because yes. it, it ties up yeah. very nicely. Because the a Aven- pink bear would be silly. The Avengers movie was the very first episode of Cinema Limbo. We recorded. Right. And... The Wicker Tree, the sequel to The Wicker Man, was one of the first. Right. So it all folds back. See, everything connects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a sinister plot, isn't it? You've, yeah. Um, you're gonna, th- this is why you sent me a jar of honey. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, don't, yeah, don't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, pla- the plane's been sunk and the pilot's had his face sewn together. Yeah. And um, everyone's now running around in costumes. Uh, Malus approaches Sister Oak, who's the, the the large burly woman behind the bar, and he just walks up to her silently and sucker punches her. And again, that's yeah. a, that's another big laugh. But it's it's also if you had a sense that she was, you know, if the, if if he had incontrovertible evidence that she was involved in something sinister, that would be justified. But basically, it's a it's a policeman hitting a woman. Yeah. He he has no moral authority here. He has no he has suspicions, but that's not that's an overreaction for, for from based on what he knows. That would be him put on a charge. And the justification seems to be that other people have treated him badly. Um but we don't know if that was her. If we knew, if we saw her face in the glass trapping him in the water, that would you know, it still wouldn't explain why she's done it, but that would. But just, you know, what if he goes to ask her a question and she punches him in the face, and then they have a fight, that gets over that. But, but, but making him strike first, it's just this weird authoritarian nonsense. Yeah. Um. um what have I written here? Oh, um. The uh, the young the uh, Lily Sobieski's character, who we've not really talked about because she doesn't really do anything, who is the uh, Brit Eklund analog. Yeah. She attacks as well and just is shrieking and screaming. So Nicolas Cage uses some Elvis kung fu and kicks her into a wall. And and, and yeah, it, oh, just I mean, also there's the thing earlier where she wants to wants him to take her off the island and stuff and you kind of go oh there's this sense that people want to escape and stuff but that's not what's happening that's not what what is it that she wants what what is she driven by what is again just none of it makes any none of it hangs together um and as you say it's just it's just it's just a bloke beating up women i just the island the islanders in this version are being overly sinister and saying all this place is weird all this place is weird just to say this place is weird but in the original they're warm and welcoming to Howie yeah 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 Will- Willow tries to seduce him the you know, the islanders welcome him at the bar and and it's all very friendly and it's his res- and it's the tension between 
his response and their reactions that make it interesting. Here it's, yeah. oh, it's really sinister here, and it turns out that it is. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's exactly the thing. So, yes, as you say, he steals the bear costume and joins the procession, and finally they see Rowan on top of the, uh, the wooden pyre. Oh, his face is clearly visible in the costume as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And as, as they're running away, um, his phone rings, because clearly it's in the, the, the bear's pocket. Uh, but he's finally got a signal, but that doesn't lead anywhere. And then they, we, you know, the, the ending, as we know, where they're met at the, the big pyre, and the whole thing was a trap to lure Malus there in the first place. Uh, he was chosen and lured there. He was a stranger connected by blood to the island. That's the reason. Yeah, yeah. Why him? That's, Nothing uh, else. Yeah, and and we we real we you know we have proof that the crash at the beginning was somehow faked. I'm not sure why. What what does that? Why 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 would that change anything? Um, I do think. I do think. Um, them breaking his legs. That's a that's a an addition to this, which is horrible, but is in keeping with the original thing of sacrifice. That's what you do to a sacrificial animal. Um, yeah, that's really horrible. The problem with it is um, a you have kill it, his his amazing line: "Killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey." Um, and then they release the bees on him. On his face, and he shouts, "My eyes!" And you, what, 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 why? What, what? That you, you had something that was, you know, you kind of understand why they're breaking his legs so he can't escape. The rest of it is just bollocks, basically. <laughs> uh, it's it's at this point that I think I feel that the film does lurch into full Garth Marenghi. Well, it's just yeah. Well, you know, it's it's great that his daughter is the one to light the f- the fire. I thought that is is really disturbing. That's the one thing. That's the thing that I found. This is the, that's the one element of this film that I think they should have done in the original. That it's little Rowan who lights the fire to burn her father yeah, to yeah. death. Yeah, yeah. That, it doesn't justify the rest of the movie. <laughs> but it, and, um, yeah, but and then I, it burns away, and um, they all they don't sing they don't they just kind of watch the you know it's just it's all just really bland and they, stuff they ch- no... they chant the drone must die but it's it's not joyous like it is in the original film which is what makes that original one so disturbing and then we fade to black and we get a dedication for Johnny Ramone which is just the <laughs> like just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder and i thought one of the problems with this is that in the original, what makes it so disturbing is how delighted they are to have succeeded. What this needs is to fade to black and then fade up and it's a year later and the women are all happy and they're all supping honey and meads and it's all whatever. And the girl, the, the, um, I've forgotten her name, the, the barmaid who wanted to leave the island. Yeah is getting on a boat to go to the mainland and they're all welcoming her because she's off to lure somebody else. Well, and if you, the, if, if you the, do that, then you've got a kind of sense of, oh, I don't know, that, you know, the threat is still there or I, I don't know, I don't know. I just... The original theatrical cut 
has an epilogue. Right. Of that girl in a bar on the mainland being introduced to a young cop. Played by James Franco. Okay. Um, with and, <laughs> and it ends in a close-up of her and then overlaid on the soundtrack is the sound of burning and screaming. And then it cuts to black. Jesus. Oh, it's all so... The dedication to Johnny Ramone was because he was a f- close friend of Nicolas Cage's and who showed him the original film for the first time. So there is there is a reason for it, but it just uh, yeah, it just looked yeah, what just, what yeah, don't don't put it straight away. Don't it, it just, just what is the but you just go what 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 it, um, it shows I think the level of influence that Cage had over the production. Apparently, he had lots of ideas as they were filming of bits of business and ad libs, and all of them are included. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just a mess, really. It's just a. Because he's on fire, it's a hot mess, I suppose. But, uh, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's full of, it's full of choices that make the film worse. That's, that's the, the thing. And it's, the, the original is so good and so powerful and so, you know, an unforgettable, especially if you don't know the ending. It's such a rite of passage to watch that film mm. that... A remake really has to step up and make the case for doing a remake. And this just makes a whole load of decisions that are just... It's just stupid, really. That's that's the sort of stupid and aggressive and unnecessary and... Um, and like you say, there are a couple of things where you go, oh, that's interesting, Rowan lighting the thing, or um, the idea that um, we see... The next cycle starting. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just—it's—it's uh, it's it, just a shame, really. It completely misunderstands the point of the original story. Yeah, I remember—I remember the remake of Stepford Wives. There was a review of the remake of Stepford Wives that said it's like being told a joke. It's being like like being retold a joke by somebody who didn't understand the original. And it's going through the paces of the joke, but without understanding the punchline. And I think that's the thing here. Yeah. Um, and it's all, it's all because it's just really reactionary. It's, um, it's, it spends so much effort uh, serving and justifying the director's misogyny. Yeah. I think, I think also, I think, you know, the fact that they can't make Nicolas Cage a virgin tells you everything. You know, they can't make him vulnerable. They can't actually maybe making Nicolas Cage play a different sort of part and, and giving him a, a, the kind of character that would be surprising and different. Mm. No, that's, that's not what they want to do. Um, and that, that's part of the problem because actually the original film is a bit of a character study. And it's about that we understand him and where he comes from even if we don't share his opinions and stuff. And that, that is what creates a sort of dramatic tension and this has none of that. Um, no. It's... Uh, leaving the cinema, when I first saw it, I felt I had a real bond with my fellow audience members. That, yeah. we, that we'd been through this and we'd all had such a wonderful time. Yeah, yeah. I um, can imagine. Just this... Uh, I think, oh, the, the original stands untouched 
a masterpiece, fantastic in all its various edits, I think. Even even you know, the most compromised studio cut of the original film is still an amazing piece of work. And then you have this ridiculous Farrago, which <laughs> we knew from day one was going to be a joke, a punchline yeah. for the ages. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't deny I've got a lot of pleasure from this film, despite yeah, what the director I, claims it was not intended. Yeah, it made, it's definitely made me think, and it's definitely made me go over what would I do and how would I fix this. If this, if this was brought to me, what would I attempt to do? And, um, and the tone of it is all wrong. That's, that's the issue. That, that, that it's, as you said earlier, it feels more like a sort of Liam Neeson taken type film rather than a kind of police procedural whatever and as a result of that you've kind of lost all of the things that made it work mm. um, and that's just a shame really it should it should be a lot better um. thanks to simon for making time for this recording his new book the further adventures of sherlock holmes the great war is published on the 16th of november and is available for pre-order at this very moment Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Acast, with almost 100 episodes available, so please download, review, and subscribe. We're also on YouTube, on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. However, until next time, killing me isn't going to bring back your goddamn honey! listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.